Hey, one other exciting piece of news on this. Um, as we're being generous in December, we're also being generous with our staff. We're going to be sending Stephen to India. Now, you may not know this. Stephen is a, a member of a band called Flipside. His band is actually going on tour in India. And so he's going to be away for next Sunday and the Sunday following. Now, part of him going to India. Now, you may not know his whole story. You can go on YouTube, check some things out. Just realize that's pre-Christ, okay? But Stephen's going to be going to India, and he's going with his band. But in that process, we have some folks that are going with him to pray about opportunities to share his faith. To share his faith, whether that is in the, the festival that he's going to be at and, and with his band and singing, or actually going out in the community during the week. So I want to encourage you, uh, find out, talk to Stephen about what's going to be happening. And then as a church, we need to pray. God has sent Stephen to us as a servant in this church, but also as an opportunity to see through him the gospel go to places that you and I probably couldn't take it. But he can share the gospel there because of his influence and the stuff that he gets to do. So if you don't know anything about his band, Flipside, you can check that out. But they're going to be heading next week. Uh, I don't think Stephen's in the room. He, he left. He ran out. Anyway, so that's some exciting news. So let's uh, remember to lift him up uh, over the next two Sundays. And I think he's going to send us back a couple videos to share what God's doing there. So I'm excited for that. Hey, today, uh, we're kind of, we got to jump right in. So if you can grab a Bible, you'd help me out. And remember last week we talked about how countercultural Bergen Park is going to be. We're going to start bringing Bibles. We're going to be radical. We're actually going to carry these physical things around with us. And, and that wasn't, it's funny, but, it, you know, it's true. We want to start bringing Bibles with us because in some ways it reminds us of where our truth, our counsel, our light is found. So we're going to go today to a prophecy 700 years before the coming of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. This one that Isaiah foretold would be the son, uh, the child that is born, but the son that is given, whose name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So let's jump into Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 as we begin to unpack the mystery, the advent of Jesus and his first coming, and the anticipation of Jesus in his second coming. So Jump in with me into Isaiah chapter 9. You can go, listen, it, there's a table of contents. Don't worry. You don't have to know where Isaiah is. You can look there, find the page number, yell it out, and it'll help us out. 573, thank you. 573. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. The word of the Lord. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the deep darkness, on them a light has shone. He has multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken on the day of Midian. For every boot, for, for every boot of the trapping warrior and batter, battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be buried as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now that cannot just simply be a human child, a human being that is born for the names associated, Everlasting Father, Mighty God. This is one who Isaiah says is both human and yet divine. Now, the story of Christmas comes with a lot of joy, a lot of lights, a lot of harmony. I don't know when Christmas begins for you. Sometimes people suggest it's when the music begins to play. That seems to become early and earlier every year. Maybe it's when the displays and the stores show up, sometime right after Halloween, it seems. But for me, it's always the introduction of light. It's lights on the trees, seeing lights in the windows, lights even on this stage. It's the introduction of light that reminds me the Advent has begun. See, Advent is this season we're entering into where we remember the coming of Jesus and his first coming and anticipate the return of Christ and his second coming. It's the anticipation of Christ's coming that we celebrate in this year. And, and in this, this uh, series we're going to walk into, we're going to look through a, a prophecy some 700 years before the coming of Christ to discover who this Messiah, who this Jesus will be. And one of the themes that Isaiah brings out is that of light. Because the time in which Isaiah spoke, and the time in Matthew, and the time in Mark and Luke, when they speak about the coming of Jesus, it was a time of deep darkness. We think of Christmas as a time of sentimentality and joy, and yet the story of Jesus' birth is one of light breaking into a dark place of those walking in a land of darkness, this light has shown. And Jesus says that light points to the light of life, that when you follow me, you live in the light of life. And Jesus takes that idea of light and applies it to himself. But we're gonna be taking these names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and un unpacking the truth of what those, what those names mean for us and for the identity of who this person will be. And today we're going to pick up that first one, which is wonderful counselor. That we need, and I think we could say this, you know, every generation, but certainly much more today, we need counsel. We need wonderful counsel. We need to know what kind of counsel that will be. And then finally, we need to understand how to receive the counsel from God himself. Now, to give you a little background into Isaiah, Isaiah spoke uh, 700 years before the coming of Jesus. And in the year 730 B.C., this prophecy was spoken to a king, a king over the northern territories called Judah. And that king was the, uh, named Ahaz. And Ahaz was uh, someone that, on the one hand, he represented God and he was a king over Judah. But on the other hand, he really didn't trust God. He was facing some tremendous challenges in his day. He was being attacked from the south, from Syria, from Israel. He's also being attacked from the Assyrians. And he had to make a decision. With all the pressures, all the things that are going on in his life, the life of his nation, he had to make a choice as to who he's going to align himself with. Which counsel will he seek? And Isaiah says to Ahaz in this passage, he says, listen to the Lord. Don't trust in the nations. Don't make 
a pact with Assyria and the Syrians. Rather, trust in the Lord. Trust in what he's going to do. Listen to his counsel alone, and he will rescue you. Now, Ahaz wanted some counsel with skin on it. He needs something more than that, so he didn't trust in Isaiah, and instead he made a pact with the Assyrians. And when the Assyrians came in, instead of bringing peace, they brought suffering, hardship, and difficulty. And when you come to Isaiah chapter 9, though Ahaz didn't trust in the word of the prophets, Isaiah is saying this nonetheless, this sign will come to you. A son, a child will be born, and he, that son will be given. And on him the government shall rest. That peace will come through him whether you trust in his counsel or not, Ahaz. He's going to come. Now, before we get to chapter 9, you have to go to chapter 8. And I want to look just quickly, chapter 8, verse 22. You see, at the end of chapter 8, what's happening is not only is Ahaz, the king, trusting in foreign nations and rejecting God's wisdom and counsel, but the people of Israel, the people, God's people, are rejecting his counsel as well. And in chapter 8, what you find is they're turning to everyone but God. They're turning to the magicians, they're turning to mediums, they're turning to sorcerers. And in chapter 8, verse 22, this is how Isaiah summarizes what will happen. In chapter 8, verse 22, and because, uh, actually it's not verse 22. Let me look at my notes real quick. I wrote verse 22, and it's not verse 22, guys. Yes, it is verse 22, because I'm in chapter 7. <laughs> but the light has revealed it's chapter 8. I'm sorry. Hey, chapter 8, verse 22. And here's how the people responded. And they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. Now notice the people are facing challenge, trials, difficulties. And he says in verse 22, instead of looking to God, they will look to the earth. They'll look to the powers of the earth, whether the nations. They'll look to each other. And instead of listening to God's counsel, the wonderful counsel, they'll trust in themselves. And because of that, greater darkness will come. See, in the Bible, darkness refers to, one, the brokenness of life the evil of life, but two, the fact that we don't know how to solve what is wrong in the world. And we often trust in the counsel of the wrong things, things that lead us maybe to a path of comfort, to a path of prosperity, but don't lead us ultimately to a path of peace. And Isaiah is saying to the people, he's saying to the nations, trust in the counsel from God. Because the first thing we need is we need counsel. Now what I want to do is back up for a moment and go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. Because see, in Genesis chapter 1, you have these rhythms, this rhythm of creation. God created something. He declared it was good. And there was evening and morning, the first, the second, the third. And then we get to the sixth day. And on the sixth day, God created man. And something unique happened. It's the first time on day six where God speaks to his creation. He speaks wisdom and counsel, instruction to the creation. And he says in chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 26, 28. I'm getting numbers wrong today. God blesses them and speaks to them and says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the ground. Now realize at this time, Adam and Eve were in a perfect relationship with God. 
They had a perfect relationship with each other. There was peace, shalom. They had a perfect relationship with the world. See, and yet God had to speak wisdom into his creation, not because sin had been introduced, but because we, as human beings, need, we need God's revelation. We need his counsel. We need his wisdom to live life. God speaks into his creation, not because we are broken, but because we are dependent. And as human beings created in the image of God, we need God's counsel and wisdom to speak truth into life, to tell us what life is about and the purpose for which we were created. Now, what happens is instead of, instead of living out of that counsel, that wisdom, that dependence upon God, what happens in chapter 3 is a new counselor shows up. And not just a new counselor, what you find is there's a new interpretation of the facts. I think the challenge we have in life is not just the knowledge of facts, it's the interpretation of those facts. Haven't you found that in life sometimes it's not just the facts that you're dealing with, it's the interpretation of those facts. You can have two people go through difficult situations, one comes out better, the other one comes out bitter. Now one comes out better, one comes out bitter, not because of the facts of what has happened to them, but rather their interpretation of what those facts mean. I remember there's a friend uh, back in Texas, and he told me this story. We're having lunch together, and he was telling this story that happened that week that uh, he had taken his daughter to preschool. You know, his wife was out of town, or, or she was working, so I can't remember. And, and he got her dressed that morning, took her to school, and when he was dropping her off, there was this woman at the school who was staring at him. I mean, her eyes were just riveted on him. And, and he couldn't figure out what was going on. So he, must, he just kind of assumed, us men do, that she must have been attracted to him. You know, he was, it's, he, he was looking particularly good that morning as he's dropping his daughter off. And here's this woman. She's staring in his direction. He, th- he drives away thinking, hey, this, you know, she, she thinks I'm an attractive man. And so he drops his daughter off. He goes off to work. And, and later on in the day, he gets this call. And his wife is laughing. And she just picked up their daughter. And he says, what's going on? He goes, uh, do you remember what you dressed? Do you remember dressing our daughter this morning? He said, yeah, yeah, I got her dressed. and put on the dress that you, you told me to put on. He goes, did you realize you put it on backwards? <laughs> and all day long, she's been wearing this dress. She's been wearing this dress backward. And he realized the interpretation of the facts was wrong. This woman was staring at him. That's the fact. The truth is she was looking in his direction. She wasn't looking because she was attracted. She was looking because she was having pity on the girl. And in that interpretation of facts, the way of living out that truth is incredibly different. And see, in the story of Genesis, God spoke truth. He spoke wisdom. He spoke counsel. What happened? In Genesis chapter 3, a new interpreter stepped in. A new counselor, new wisdom showed up. The serpent comes in. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, that new interpreter speaks. Now the serpent was more crafty than all the other beasts of the field. That the Lord God had made. And the Lord, and, and he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see, the serpent didn't change the facts. What he changed was the interpretation of the facts. And he said, You would be a fool to listen to God. Because, see, God knows that when you eat of this tree, you're going to know good and evil and you're going to be like God. And when that new interpretation, that new wisdom, that new counsel set in, Everything went into darkness. And suddenly, instead of one voice, there were thousands and thousands of voices, thousands of interpretations. Isaiah is saying is the light has come. The truth has returned. 
that truth is in the child, the son, the wonderful counsel, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Often our challenge in life is not just the facts that we face, it's what we believe about those facts. And see, God wants to be that voice of counsel into your life, describing and speaking truth into what's happening. Now, there's a story in the Old Testament that comes up numerous times as referenced in the Old Testament, also in the New Testament. And it happened at this place called Meribah. Meribah and Manasseh. It was a place in the wilderness as Israel, God's people, had been rescued out of Egypt, out of slavery. God brought them into the wilderness. Now, when you go to the wilderness, it's not a forest, it's a desert. The wilderness is an uninhabitable place, a place you may visit and drive through, but not a place you're going to live. Well, for 40 years, the people of Israel, God's people, lived in the desert. And in that place, it was, it was important that they depend on him. They listened to his words, trust in his voice. In this place of Meribah, instead of trusting in him, they took the situation of life. We have no water. We have no food. And instead of trusting that God is going to provide, they rebelled against him. They listened to other voices, and they were ushered into greater darkness. And the story actually works itself out in the book of Hebrews. If you want to turn there for a moment, in Hebrews chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to a similar kind of people, a people who are walking in darkness, a people in the time of the New Testament now that are being persecuted because of their belief and trust in Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews is referencing this story in the Old Testament. A story in which the nation of Israel was in darkness. They were in a dark place. And instead of listening to God's counsel, they hardened their hearts. And they rebelled against him. And the writer of Hebrews is using that as a model to speak into our day. And he says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, listen to these words. Do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. There are facts in life that harden our hearts. There are facts like suffering and difficulty. There are facts like grief and loss. And I know some of you this year, maybe this is the first year without someone that you love. Often in this time of celebration for many of us can be times of difficulty and hardship. And he's speaking to a similar people saying, as you're walking through this experience, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, verse 8. Verse 9, where our fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. And therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. See, he's referring to a time in which the people looked at their circumstances. I shouldn't be in the desert. I shouldn't be in the wilderness. God, this is not the way my life is supposed to go. And instead of listening to his counsel, they listened to the counsel of others. They began to harden their heart towards God. Because often, when we look at the facts of life, we make interpretations. Often our interpretation is not, as I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, God, I'm not going to fear evil because you're with me. Often our interpretation is, God, as I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear evil because you are not with me. And it is evident based on the facts of my life and where I am and the situation that I'm going through. Your voice is silent. Your power is impotent. I've got to take matters into my own hands. You know, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, often it's reinterpreting the facts. 
reinterpreting the facts and showing us what happens when God shows up into that space. You know the story of Jacob. You know, Jacob, his brothers sold him off into, uh, into actually, Joseph, I'm, I'm losing everything here. Story of Joseph, not Jacob. Story of Joseph. You guys are tracking with me. This is a test today to see if you guys are following with me. Sold him off into slavery, and he said, you know what, guys? What you intended for evil, God used for good. Now, the interpretation Joseph could have taken is, hey, my life is in the desert. I'm ruined. There's no voice. God has abandoned me. But he says, you know what? As I listen to the voice of God, I realize that what you intended for evil in my life, God intended for good. And then when you come to the New Testament, Jesus says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. Now, we would look at that and look at the facts and say, no, those are not blessed situations. It's not blessed to mourn. It's not blessed to grieve. It's not blessed to be persecuted. But he's saying in those moments, you need to listen not to the world's interpretation, not to the way you see life, but you need to listen to the wonderful counselor. For those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. That God's counsel, his wisdom in our trials, it brings light. I imagine there's a lot of testimonies today of, of those experiences, walking through the valley of the shadow of darkness, and yet God speaks, and though your facts haven't changed, your interpretation does, and it brings hope, and it brings light. We need counsel. We need counsel. You could be walking through a situation today, and the question is, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? And then, church, where are we looking to for light? And who are we, what are we introducing other people to in terms of the light that we're listening to? You know, as you jump back in Hebrews chapter 3, this passage ends in verse 12, and it ends this way. Speaking to the church, the writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. As you examine the facts of life, as you look at what's happening in your life, he's saying, watch out. Watch out that your heart does not come become hard. Verse 13, but exhort one another, which means counsel, church, counsel one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, it's our role not only to listen to God, but in each other's lives as we walk through those valleys to speak truth. Now, what kind of truth do we need to speak? Just quickly, we need to discover who this counselor is. We know that this counselor is Jesus. He is the light of the world. And yet, what kind of counsel does he bring? There's a passage in John chapter 11. If you're a psychologist, if you like that kind of thing, uh, it's a passage that's mystifying. It's a story of Jesus showing up at a funeral. It's the funeral of a dear friend named Lazarus. And Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. And both of them, within a... I don't know, time span, maybe 30 minutes, at least five verses in the text. They come to him and they say, they say, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, here are the facts, Jesus. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, Jesus does not dispute the facts. Their interpretation of those facts is there is no light, there is no hope. It is all darkness. And yet both Martha and Mary ask the same question, why did you not come? Now, in the first story with Martha, his response to Martha is very unique. He says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, he doesn't walk in darkness. He has the light of life. Martha, do you not know who I am? 
See, to Martha, he responds with truth. To Martha, he speaks into her life. He rebukes her darkness. He rebukes her interpretation of the facts. He speaks truth into her life and says, Martha, do you believe me? Now, the interesting thing is, if you just turn a few verses over in chapter 11, Mary comes up. Right after Martha and Jesus had spoken truth to Martha, Mary comes up and she asks the exact same question. Lord, here's the facts. You weren't here. Our brother has died. Why didn't you show up? And you know, to Mary, Jesus says nothing. He doesn't say, Mary, I'm the resurrection and the life. Why don't you believe in me? No, to to Mary, he enters into her tears. With Martha, he speaks truth, but with Mary, he enters into tears. And that's the nature of the wonderful counselor. Because I think in each one of our lives, there's times where we need to receive truth. And I think too often in churches, we love to speak truth. We are truth tellers, but truth telling is not all wisdom. Sometimes you need truth, but often you need tears. Often you need the wonderful counselor not just to come in and to illuminate the facts, but you need the wonderful counselor to come in and to experience the pain. And that's why the story of this wonderful counselor is so amazing because the writer of Hebrews later goes on to say that this counsel, this one that we trust, is one who has, been, who has suffered in every way that we have, yet was without sin. That we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us, but one who has entered into everything we have experienced and understands our suffering. The unique story of the gospel and of Christianity is that God has entered into our suffering. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to lose, to go through grief and loss. He's entered into our pain. And see, because he is without sin, he is the perfect lover. See, the reason I think we care poorly for each other is because we are not without sin. See, Jesus, not having experienced sin, doesn't disconnect him from us. It actually enables him to love us better than we can love ourselves. One of those great stories is the story of the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. She's brought out before these men, and these men are ready to condemn her. And he says to them, which one of you, go ahead, cast the first stone if you are without sin. And all these men, they begin to walk away. First, the first thing Jesus does is he expresses compassion. He expresses love. And then he speaks to her and says, hey, listen, has anyone condemned you? No. Well, therefore, go and sin no more. Then he speaks truth. Jesus first identifies with her. In her pain, in her brokenness, speaking love and truth, changing her identity, and then he brings truth along and says, now, now that you know my love, now that you've experienced my grace, go and sin no more. In Jesus, you see the beauty of hating sin and yet loving the sinner. You see the majesty of holiness and mercy merging into one, this wonderful counselor. And see, that's what we're supposed to be as the church. A community that doesn't just speak truth, but we have the Holy Spirit, which we don't rely on enough. That when we encounter someone, there are times where we need to say, Spirit, would you speak? Should I enter into this time with truth or with mercy? With tears or with honesty? God, how do you want me to speak? Because the wonderful counselor that is both truth and tears is the one that now dwells within us. And we have to also receive his counsel. See, on the one hand, we have to know that we need counseling. Two, we need to know who that counselor is. But three, we need to know how to receive it. And just quickly, 
before we celebrate communion. Are you being honest with God? Hey, if you're paying for the session, you might as well be honest. How foolish is it to, for us to go to a counselor and not be honest about our lives? The story of scripture is God is not afraid of your honesty. God is not afraid of your tears. He's not afraid of your anger. But he wants to be with you. And the story of the Psalms is the story of men and women coming into his presence and being honest. But sometimes our honesty needs to show up in our humanity. Meaning you need to be honest with each other. Because see, to know the wonderful counsel, on the one hand, we've got to be honest with God. But if there's no one in your life to whom you're honest with, you will not be healed. Let me say that again. If there's no one in your life to whom you're honest with, you will not be healed. James says, we pray for one another so that you might be healed. God alone can forgive. But see, in the body of Christ in the church, we bring healing into each other's lives as we speak truth and as we administer tears. Are you being honest with God? And then and if you're honest with God, you've got to start being honest with man. Are we honest? And then let me ask you a question. Jesus asked someone in his day, do you really want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Because see, to be healed means to surrender. To be healed means I've got to let go. To be healed means I've got to stop taking control. I've got to surrender to the wonderful counselor. I've got to allow his truth to speak. Do you want to be healed? Because Jesus, God doesn't want to just change your life. He wants to change you. And in changing your life, he wants to change you at the heart. Are you willing to be changed? Are you willing to hear his voice? And then finally, are you willing to do what he says? He wants our yes on the table before the question is asked. Often we want to hear the answer to the question before we put down our yes. But James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. He gives generously regardless of the wilderness, regardless of our facts, regardless of our interpretation, he gives generously. But James says he must believe and not doubt. We must be willing and ready to say yes to the wonderful counselor who has come as a gift into the world. Now, Isaiah doesn't finish it in chapter nine, but later on in the suffering servant, he shows us how that wisdom will come. That he who was perfect in every single way and yet was without sin, he was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds, we are healed. See, knowing this counselor, it starts by just simply receiving the grace of the gift. Receiving the grace of the gift that Christ has stood in our place. Christ has stood in our place and he has received our brokenness upon himself so that we might know the truth and the mercy and the grace of God. For some of us, it simply means today we just need to receive. We need to acknowledge our need for the gift. And what that means is humility. Father, accept me on the basis of Christ and Christ alone. I know I'm a sinner in need of mercy and grace. I need your wisdom. Some of us just need to start at that place of humility, inviting the Lord into our lives. And for some of us, we're at that second place. We need to start asking the question, am I being honest? Am I truly being honest with God? And man, he's not afraid of our honesty. And then do I really wanna be healed? And then finally, after we searched our heart in those, those ways, what's the last question? I can't remember. It was really good, though. You guys remember. 
<laughs> what was the last one? I got to look now. Yeah, you're going to, there you go, Jim. Jim's helping us. Well, you do what he says. See how much we, this has really impacted me today. Well, you do what he says. Hey, as we, as we co- conclude this morning, we're going to celebrate, um, we're going to celebrate communion. I want to invite those that are going to serve us this morning to come forward. And as we celebrate, will we search our hearts? Will we just allow the spirit to speak truth in those areas where we need truth? In those areas where we need mercy and forgiveness and grace, would we allow him to minister to us? And so let me pray for us, and we're going to celebrate what God has done together. Father, I thank you that even in the life of Ahaz, the life of Israel, though, the Father, they rejected the truth, they rejected the light. You still brought mercy and grace. There's not a door that shuts on mercy. Your compassion endures forever, Father. You want none to perish, but all come to everlasting life. That even though we rebel against you, Father, you use our rebellion to bring truth and light. You even use our brokenness, Father, to show us the depths of your grace. And so this morning as we celebrate what you have done, Father, would we just simply humble ourselves and admit our need for wisdom. And in whatever we're going through this week, Father, may we take our interpretations Would we simply lay him down at your feet? Would we invite the wonderful counselor to speak truth into our lives? And as we celebrate what you have done, Father, would you minister to us? Would you bring others alongside us to bring compassion and mercy? Would we speak truth to each other's lives so our hearts would not be hardened? And Father, we would celebrate the truth of what this season means. Guide us in these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to stay where you 